any way you can figure it out, don't take a bank loan to do what you want to do. Because then you're working for the bank and that's very stressful, especially if you're living through a time like this, you know, where all your best plans in the world might have changed. There's individuals out there who, if your idea is good enough, they're going to believe in you and they will want to invest in your idea. It might take a lot of doors to knock on to find those right people. That's the right deal. We were fortunate and, you know, we, we had put everything we had into it, certainly, but we had some great investors who believed in what we were doing that we were able to buy out with time because that's the way we set it up. Uh, and they helped us get started. But we also knew that, God forbid, if something went wrong or our projections were off, nobody's going to take anything from us and no credit's going to be ruined. So I think that was important. I think also just because your current job situation might, may not be ideal, that doesn't mean working for yourself is going to be any better. If you can't make it through the day to see the good things that you have in the job or in your current situation, it's probably not going to be a lot different than working for yourself. Boss Uncaged is a bi-weekly podcast that releases the origin stories of business owners as they become uncaged trailblazers, unconventional thinkers, untethered trendsetters, and unstoppable tycoons. We always hear about overnight success stories, never knowing that it took 20 years to become a reality. Our host, S.A. Grant, conducts narrative accounts through the voices and stories behind Uncaged Bosses. In each episode, guests from a wide range of backgrounds sharing diverse business insights. Learn how to release your primal success through words of wisdom from inspirational entrepreneurs and industry experts as they depict who they are, how they juggle their work life with family life, their successful habits, business expertise, tools, and tips of their trade. Release the uncaged boss beast in you. Welcome our host, S.A. Grant. Welcome, welcome back to Boss Uncaged Podcast. On today's show, we have a special treat. We have the president of Worthmore Jewelers. I've known this guy, I don't know, like my son is like 14. I've known him before my son was born. So at least 15 years, and I've seen how his business it was thriving before. You went to multiple locations. You tried a couple other things here and there. I mean, just give the people a little bit of who you are, Harris. Hey, yeah. So grew up in Atlanta, grew up in the home of an entrepreneur, my father, who was definitely my mentor and role model. And he was a corporate guy to start off and then decided enough of the corporate world. I want to go do something for myself. So, you know, that's really what I was brought up on. Mom also working, dad working, paving their own ways. So it was in my blood uh, from a young age, started with a stereo business in a flea market and nice. you know, was always doing something, uh, even in college, working multiple jobs through college, driving limos, working as a DJ in a bar, mm. whatever it was, just to turn it up and have a lot of interaction with people, get to know people, mm. get to know what to do, what not to do. And then was running a big jewelry store here in town to streamline it, got into discussion with the owners of what the business was worth. And I told them one price. They said, ah, I don't think it's really worth that much. And I was like, ah, I think you'll be surprised. You know, we built this thing pretty big. And about six weeks later, they came back and they said, hey, good news. You were actually right. The business was worth that much. Mm-hmm. And I said, oh, cool. You know, I love being right. Good to know. And they said, so we sold it. And I was like, oh, okay. Well, what exactly does that mean? And they said, well, we sold the business. We're getting out. And I was mm-hmm. like, okay. So... 
fast tracking that. I started interviewing. My wife at the time was pregnant. Uh, we had a baby on the way. I was like, got to go keep the paycheck coming. Started interviewing with other jewelry stores in town. And actually my wife, Jerry said, you know, what are you doing for years? You have a file cabinet full of business ideas like any entrepreneur, everything from vending machines to whirly ball to jewelry to clothing to coffee bars, believe it or not, before they were big. I'm a little bit older. We had visited some out of town places that had awesome coffee bars. It was before Starbucks was even here. But she was like, this is the sign. This is meant to tell you this is the time to do it. And that was the push that I needed at that time to be like, you know, she had a job, fortunately, still. But are you sure we can do this? And she said, I'm sure you can do this. And it really was what I needed at the time. Got it. So, I mean, you always hear about businesses, right? I mean, you're a jeweler and I don't think people really understand what is the definition of a jeweler? I mean, what does that really mean? Good question. And there are a lot of different people, the way that they look at it. A lot of people, a jeweler means the guy who puts his hands on the jewelry. Mm -hmm. So I call my jewelers who sit at the workbench all day making jeweler, jewelers also. Mm -hmm. I am a business owner who designs jewelry and runs a jewelry business. Mm -hmm. So I also classify as a jeweler. So it's a great question because it can refer to multiple things in our industry from business owner to actually the craftsman who sits there with his hands on the pieces. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, you have a really cool title, too. I mean, you're talking about jewelry. You're talking about worth more. I mean, how did you come up with the title for for your company? The the name was actually truly, truly the hardest thing uh, once we decided to do this. We looked at, and I looked at numerous businesses. I went out to lunch with numerous businessmen that I respect here in town, from big corporate guys to local entrepreneurs. And they all had one message for me. Harris, you know jewelry. Don't try to reinvent the wheel. Do what you know do it right, do it how you've been doing it. So we were like, okay, this is great. One thing that I had experienced from working for other jewelers was the need for the independent, the smaller jeweler, when they got stuck with merchandise that wasn't selling to free up cash flow. And manufacturers too, when they'd made all this merchandise that maybe wasn't the right merchandise and they had to sell it. So I had the idea to do liquidations, go into stores and manufacturers and buy out what they had already made that they needed cash for. So we wanted a name at the time that said discount without it. At the time, this is 27 years ago, the big thing was warehouse. Everything was a warehouse. Everything was wholesale and different things like that. We didn't want to fall into that. We also knew that we didn't want to do what most family-run jewelry stores do, which is call it their family name, just because we want it to stick out as being different. So at the time, one of my partners in the business was a big marketing guy who had a a big corporate job and a giant staff behind him. And he gave them the project of said, here's what we're doing. Here's what we want to convey. Come up with a name. And literally we met and I think he had four yellow legal pads full, every line full of names. And literally we just read through them, boom, 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 boom. And there was like three that stuck. And ultimately we were like, you know, worth more describes what we are. We, our jewelry, we feel is worth more. Our service, we feel is worth more. We're buying it differently Mm. back then. And we've sort of changed our focus over the years, but we're buying it differently. So we know our pricing is also worth more. So we felt like that did it. It also sort of sounded still like a family name Mm. and we definitely get calls weekly asking to talk to Mr. Worthmore. So we nice. always know a call when that comes through. Got it. Got it. 
So another big thing that I think that you did that was, I think, probably key to your success was, I mean, location is key, right? Location is king. And you have two premium locations. Like, how did you even figure out? I mean, did you contact a realtor? Did you just know that you wanted to be near Piedmont Park and in Decatur Square? I mean, how did that come about? Yeah. So the original location, which Piedmont Park is our backyard, mm-hmm. we we knew we wanted a warehousey feel mm-hmm. uh, a big strip center, but not a traditional strip center. So we were actually really hot on Howe Mill at the time. We were hot in Midtown. We wanted to be in Midtown because we wanted a diverse clientele. That was super important to us, running mall stores for so long and seeing the lack of diversity and how different people were treated in the store was one of the reasons we wanted to be in Midtown. We wanted to be open for everybody, no matter what you looked like, how you dressed, who you loved, whatever it is. The diversity was super important 27 years ago when Atlanta really didn't have a lot of shopping experiences for that. But what I saw in the mall stores was people coming in and being judged and not feeling comfortable to come in as a couple or come in together or not get top treatment because of how they were dressed or whatever it may be. That sort of gave us a geographical area. We looked at lots of spaces and ultimately the entrepreneurs that I was talking to that were in business said, Harris, you can investigate this. You can do as much research as you want, but eventually you just got to open your doors hmm. and go with your best option, hmm. open your doors, and then you're going to figure it out. And, and I took that advice and our Midtown store was just prime. We loved the area being near Piedmont Park, Virginia Highlands, the diversity. It was also a redone warehouse area. So tons of parking, giant spaces that when we moved in 27 years ago, Chanel, our rent was $4 a foot. So that also was pretty sweet. (laughs) Now, and then the second location came along, we sort of did it as a defensive move. Actually, Mm. there was talk that our center in Midtown was going to sell. We didn't want to be without an open business. So we started looking for a second location. This is 13 years ago. We loved the vibe of Decatur, the sort of small town Mayberry type feel with hip businesses, very locally supported. They love the small guy. They hate the big box chains. So we knew that's where we wanted to be. We probably looked at eight different locations in Decatur. The one that we're ultimately on in East Court Square was the first spot we looked at, but there was a folk art gallery in there and it wasn't available. We called the landlord after we kept looking and trying to make these other spots work. And we said, that's our home. That's where we want to be. When that spot opens up, we'd like first right of refusal. About six months later, they called us and said, hey, these guys want to get out of their lease early. We said, we're too close to Christmas right now. We can't do it this year. This was September already, and we didn't want to make us, we don't want to stretch ourselves out for the holidays. And then I have Valentine's immediately after that. So I said, I can't take it until after Valentine's Day. And they said, look, we know who you guys are. Y'all are solid business. You have a following. We know it's going to be long-term. We'll wait for you. Nice. And yeah, I mean, from day one, from dealing with the city to the individuals there, it was just perfect, perfect, perfect. We loved it. We wish we had more space there. But besides that, Decatur, the clientele is fantastic too. And, and again, they like that different. They don't want the big box experience. They want cool. Where when I was in the mall stores, everybody there wanted what their neighbor was wearing. Mm-hmm. When we got into town, everybody wanted what they'd never seen before, mm-hmm. uh, which was a lot more fun for us. 
Definitely, definitely. And I think you definitely bring an eclectic palette to it, right? Not just with the jewelry, but just the environment, the space, the decor. Um, another great business move that you made was you made it kind of like into an art gallery as well, both locations that you kind of bring local artists and you, you sell their work as well. So kind of tell us a little bit about that. Yeah. So uh, actually the painting behind me, since you brought it up, is by one of my favorite, Jonathan Calicut, who's a local artist. Everything's hand built from the frame to a hand done pencil in it to the block printing. He's an amazing guy. But we actually added the art in when 12 years ago, when we opened that Decatur store, I was actually in the space, scraping down the floor, cleaning out the trash. The previous tenant had left hauling stuff out of there the first week Hmm. and probably 15 to 20 people knocked on the door and said, Oh, y'all a new art gallery. Hmm. And it kept on happening. And then I went home one night and I said to Jerry, I'm like, you know what? One thing we have learned over the years is the walls don't sell jewelry. People just don't see it. When you have these beautiful wall cases, you can have the best jewelry in the world up there, but it's behind you and people don't recognize it. Hmm. And we think of jewelry as art, uh, art is jewelry. So we were like, let's do the art. So We tested it out in our Decatur store, which was our newest location. Then right away, it clicked. People loved the idea. People who've shopped with us for years already and bought gifts for, you know, great jewelry gifts for special occasions Mm -hmm. can now add in art. We saw the reaction there and we quickly, Mm -hmm. not planning it because this was in 2008 also, I must mention, by the time we got that store open, uh, which wasn't necessarily best time in the world to open a new Mm -hmm. business, started in 2007 when things were good. So we redid the Midtown store also and added in the art there. And it really is a great compliment to what we do because it helps us express our identity. It shows how different we are in our industry and it gives something people that's a fantastic gift. I mean, art you see daily, it brings back great memories, just like a piece of jewelry that can be passed down. So they really go hand in hand and, and we love it because it always said, you know, it's great decorations for our store. It looks different every time you're in there. Yeah, definitely. definitely. I think it's also a great addition to you give back to the community in, in a different way. Not only you're giving back to the environment, but I mean, you even gave me one of my jump starts, right? I mean, it was a few years back when I released my first book and you have these events at your jewelry store. So it gave me opportunity to kind of bring my book in, do a book signing, do a book event. And it was like a win-win. We had food, we had music, everything just kind of came together. But I mean, you're used to doing that, right? So I mean, kind of tell us how does that work with your business? I mean, most jewelers are more so, this is our merchandise, this is our product, they'll showcase it, but you're showcasing it more of an indirect route. You're bringing people in through events and through the events you're getting sales. Right. First of all, we love to have fun. Mm. Like any entrepreneur, our business is our life. We, mm. we eat it, breathe it. We work 24-7, uh, late nights, early mornings, whatever it takes to get done. Mm. So we like to have fun in the store and we want our customers to have an experience. Mm. Uh, we don't want somebody just to walk in and be stressed out because they're making a large purchase mm. or about to be engaged, whatever it is that they need. So we want a, a more lighthearted approach to it. And we love bringing in local people who maybe don't have what we have. We've been blessed with 27 great years at this point. Mm. So our customer list is gigantic. Mm. And do know that we, as you said, we want to give back. So we support a lot of charities throughout the year, but we also like to bring in sort of these pop-up type events Mm. like book signings, our art openings, charity events, other things like that. So it's fun for us because not only do we get to help somebody else out, get them to meet our customers. We also get to meet their followers. So it really is a win-win and it's something different and fun. And again, it's all about the experience. There's numerous places to buy jewelry. We of course feel 
Ours is the most unique. We feel that, you know, everything about what we do, I could go out and summarize all the positive aspects, but I got to think every business owner thinks that about their business or they wouldn't be in business. But Mm -hmm. to be able to bring in these outside things and just make a fun event that people remember, then they're like, hey, I want to go back to that place. It was so cool. Mm -hmm. I came down for for Chanel for his book signing, Mm -hmm. but I had no idea they were even there. I need to go back from that. And from your event that we had, you know, we met some great people that have started supporting us. And at the same, I had some of my customers picked up your book and have started following all the great things that you're doing. Yeah, yeah, it definitely is a win-win situation. And I think that's what entrepreneurship really is about. It's not just about making money. It's about who else can I bring along with me for the journey and have them excel as well. And I think you've been the epitome of that as long as I've known you, which is great. I'm blessed to have you in my circle, just to say it that way. Thank you. So, I mean, you brought up Jerry, which is your wife. And when it comes to entrepreneurs, right? I mean, there's always one entrepreneur in the family per se, and then there's the spouse or the children, and they're always kind of looking and following. But From what I've learned from Jerry, I think she's just as ambitious as you are. Absolutely. She also grew up in in an entrepreneurial household. Mm -hmm. So it was in her blood also. uh, And she was a retailer by trade. She has a strong retail background and and we do get to work together. So, you know, it's it's something where a lot of people look at us and like, you know, how do y'all do it? Uh, Yeah. We can't imagine anything but that. And we do things very differently for the company. We look at things very differently. She's very fashion driven. I'm very analytical driven. Mm-hmm. So people look at a piece of jewelry and see fashion. I'll look at it and see parts. And mm-hmm. so it helps us in our buying to make sure that we're buying effectively because we're getting really the best of everything. We're getting great looking pieces of jewelry that nobody else has. But because of my background in the industry, working for hands-on jewelers in the beginning years, I look at the parts to make sure that the pricing is right with it. So we really do complement each other in the business. And even though we work literally, if we're both at our desk, which is rare, but if we're both at our desk, we're feet away from each other, but we may go half the day without even having a direct interaction because we're just in there doing our thing. You know, we, we all both have our responsibilities. We're now blessed that we brought in our oldest child uh, who'd been up in New York for the past three years working for a jewelry designer up there on the wholesale side. She was doing training for them. We got her back to Atlanta during COVID and she's now working with us too. So, you know, because she's seen us grow up and she's grown up from Jerry used to bring her in and carrying her on the baby Bjorn on her chest, uh, helping customers, trying not to knock her in the head when we opened up jewelry showcases. She really grew up in the store and now she's behind the counter and helping us with our online and taking care of our social. So it's really gratifying for us to see also, you know, what we've worked so hard at being another generation falling into it. Um, besides that, I get to work with my nephew works for me. My mother-in-law comes in and does some back office work nice. for us. So it really is a homegrown. We, we feel like everybody in the store is our family because we've worked, many of us, for 20 years together, more than 20 years together. But it's nice to also have those blood ties in it and, and get to see each other in a different light than you would normally. Nice, nice. And I mean, you keep alluding to the 27 to 27. And this is one of the questions I usually always ask, you know, it always takes 20 years to become this overnight success story. I mean, when did you guys really achieve that? I mean, you guys have been in magazines, you've been on TV, you've guys have been in a lot of different media spots. When did that eureka moment happen? Was it 10 years in five years in? That's a great question. And I really can't say exactly. I can say that 
Jerry and I reflect on often, you know, we remember that first month where we had sold enough to pay our rent. And mm. one thing that I said when we opened, I had a cousin who got in, opened a retail store down in Florida about the same time. And I was like, hey, this was probably 10 months into it. I was like, you know what? I think we're both going to be great at this. I think we're going to both do good. We're going to be mm. successful. But what we cannot forget is how hungry we are right now, mm. how, how willing we are to do whatever it takes to take care of our customers, to make stuff happen, to do it in the right way, to treat people right. As long as we never forget that, then the rest just happened. I can't say it. And you're right. We have been blessed. We've been voted best of Atlanta by about every publication in town. We've been voted by the jewelry industry, one of the coolest stores in America, top three designers, best to do business with, American Express, best of. So all of these great accolades, you know, it really does, when we get those, every one of them, every time still means so much to us because we pour so much into it. I couldn't say when it really started to happen, but I can say that I can promise you that we don't ever take any of that for granted. So no matter what we've become, we know that's what we are today, but we know that we are never going to be able to rest on our laurels. We're just not going to sit back even down to, you know, changing the way the store looks since you've been shopping with me, mm. we've probably redone the store yeah. four times. Yeah. You know, it still is that what I call a dark wood store with deep carpet and big chandeliers. We're definitely a hipper, more bare bones approach to fine jewelry, but we change it up and we go in so many businesses, whether they're restaurants or other retail stores. And we're like, this place just, you know, it's so dated at this point. Why haven't they put a fresh coat of paint on the walls? Why haven't they taken this carpet out? Why haven't they replaced this? You know, it is money that you have to spend along the way, but they're investments. That's what keeps you relevant. And that's what excites your customers. So every time they're in, they're like, wow, you know, this store must be doing good. They keep on changing, keep on upgrading. And so I think more than anything is we have our wall of awards that we love seeing because that's accomplishments for us, but we know that's what we earned in the past. We still have to go out and earn it for the next day. And I think that I really do feel like, and our whole staff, I think, feels that way. They know whatever big sale they had yesterday or whatever customer they made yesterday, they still have to take care of that customer, but we have to take care of the next person that comes in and make them feel welcome and make them feel special. So I think that's the key for any business, you know, especially in times like this. You have to reinvent, you have to rock and roll, you have to swerve and curve and not just take it for granted and not sit down to feed it and not say, I can't do business in a COVID environment. We just had our first small special event the other night. As you said, we do a lot of large scale special events where we'll rent out uh, speakeasies to have private events. We've rented out um, large bars and just had band parties basically. Uh, lots of designer events in the store, but we actually invited 12 ladies in the other night and we just got into pre-owned uh, luxury handbags, which are sort of like the fine watch market. And we had the ladies in and they got to shop in privacy. We set up uh, the hors d'oeuvre trays instead of having a big buffet. We had separate trays for each lady with nice. everything on them that they would enjoy. You know, we had cups that could be identified as there. So we took a lot of precautions and it was the first time we were able to do our special events since the beginning of the year. So we started it small, it was very successful and we felt that we did it safely. So, you know, with that, we'll build on this model for a while. We still don't want to do huge events because we respect the people's safety and we obviously respect our family, our crew's safety, but 
we have to figure out ways to still do these events. Number one, we like them. They're fun, but it's also part of our business model. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, and to your point, you're saying 12. And I remember when we did the book sign, I think we ended up having like 130, 140 people in the store. So it's a night and day difference. But I think you're the epitome of the example of how a storefront could still survive through COVID, right? That's like the first things you always think about. Okay, it's a storefront. You have to close the doors. How are you going to make money? Are you going to sell things online? And obviously, I don't know your numbers, but I would think just from the outside looking in, your level. I mean, you're like stock at this point. You're just, you're good. I mean, you know, we lost, we were totally shut down for about six and a half weeks. Mm -hmm. Uh, There's 18 of us all in. Mm -hmm. Fortunately, we were able to keep everybody on. Mm -hmm. Uh, We did not furlough anybody. We just, we realized what our crew does for us and we have to be there to do for them. So, you know, we, we do have savings, obviously, like, you know, that's what we were able to keep everybody moving on. So during that time we were doing Zoom Mm -hmm. appointments. And we were holding up jewelry to the camera. We were doing whatever we did, making deliveries to people's houses, nice. leaving it other but still staying in touch with people. Mm. So then when we could reopen and people felt safe to come in with all the safety precautions that we're taking, then we could restart our business. And, and I think that there were so many people who came into the store and they're like, we haven't been anywhere, Harris. You are the first place we've been. And I'm like, Wow what an honor for your jeweler to be your first place you've been. And they said, well, we knew you guys would be doing it safely. Hmm. And we needed some retail therapy. We wanted to get out. We needed something to do. But one thing I heard from another entrepreneur here in town, he's like, as a small business, we're able to control our environment better than any big box store because we're in there. We're on the floor. We're seeing what's Hmm. happening. We noticed quickly our engagement area was getting very congested. Hmm. So we divided up the store and we took, parts of the engagement area and put it in other parts of the store that weren't as congested. Uh, we limit the number of people in the store to when a salesperson's available, our guard lets you in, greets you with some hand sanitizer. We're all in masks. So we're doing lots of different safety things. And just like business, we're never going to sit idle. We're going to always reinvent ourselves. Every morning when we're doing our deep clean of both stores, we're talking saying, hey, last week, did you notice this? Yeah, let's change this. Let's do that. So again, we're not going to get comfortable. We're not going to get complacent in what we're doing. So we're going to remain safe for us and for our clients coming in. Got it. And I think another thing that you mentioned a couple of times in, in the past few minutes is your professional equity for your employees, not necessarily monetary equity, but I think your employees have a sense of ownership when they work with you. And I think they have a sense of pride, which you know, I think you've had some people that has worked there at least 20 years, I would think, right? So it it shows that most companies don't really hold on to people that much anymore. What have you done besides what you mentioned before to kind of retain and maintain your employees? And it is all about our crew. There's no doubt about it. We realized long ago, we understand the business. Mm -hmm. We get at this point sort of what works, what won't work, what we should take a chance on, what we should pass on, you know, how much things should cost, how much it costs to run the business. But the key to expansion when we were ready to expand was finding the right people. Because if I don't have the people that do just as you said, treat you like gold every time you come in, you're going to be like, yeah, I'm not going back to that place. They might have fantastic reviews, but for some reason it wasn't there for me. So we do feel blessed that we have employees that have been, you know, 20 plus years on down that in retail is really unheard of. And most corporate structures today is even unheard of. So it is super special to us. Um, what do we do? You know, I think we treat people how we want to be treated. I think we don't take things for granted. We let people have a voice. 
in the store and what we carry in our procedures. If I see something that's not working, I might say, hey guys, this isn't working. How can we do it differently? Hmm. Instead of some bosses might say, hey, this isn't working. Uh, we're doing it this way. Well, for me to come in when I, I'm not helping everybody in the store, obviously at this point, you know, we have, as I said, 18 of us that are on the floor interacting with customers. That's the feedback I need. So I need their feedback to help the store continue to be relevant and to grow. So I think knowing that they make a difference in our business and in people's lives. Uh, one of them said years ago, my manager indicator, Olia said, you know, what I love about this job is I don't really look at it as a job. It's something that I get to do. It's fun. I love the people I work with and we're helping people celebrate, you know, whatever it is, it might be a promotion. It might be a graduation. It might be a birthday, it might be a wedding, it might be a divorce, uh, still a celebration. I had a, a customer this weekend who emailed us Friday and said, my daughter's turning 17 tomorrow. Can I bring by balloons in the morning? This is what I want to spend. This is what she's sort of about. We all make a big deal of her. And I was like, Absolutely. You know, we stopped and got cakes at uh, Red's Bakery up on Cheshire Bridge, brought those in. We had sparkling apple cider instead of champagne. And, you know, we made a great deal of this young lady who was fantastic. And she had an unbelievable experience. And we had an unbelievable experience with her. And for that father to want her to bring her to my store for her 17th birthday is super special to me hmm. and to our uh, crew. So I think they see that. They also get a big hand on what we carry in the store. When we're buying, we're looking to them. What are your customers asking for? Is this a good piece of jewelry? So in other words, they're just not giving jewelry and say, sell this. They probably picked out what they're selling to you, which I think is also very gratifying to be able to have that type of influence on it. And I think that, again, you know, we obviously have procedures and we have an employee handbook, but we also realize you got to look at things independently. We have to look at people independently. People are going to go through things. People are going to need different things uh, at different times in their lives. And we have to be there for them because they're there for us. And so I think it's a circle. It's the only way we know how to do things. It's the only way we would want to be treated. So we try to treat people that way. And we've been so fortunate that, you know, we do have the right people who treat us back that same way. And some of these people came to us as customers are as worked in another store and near us and they started coming in and we got friendly with them mm. our different areas uh in the business or the industry are just in atlanta so mm. but i cannot stress again it's most businesses i think a lot of them that i hear talk say you know it's all about our customers and for us it's all about our i always rank it it's all about my crew first my vendor second my customers who are important to me mm but they really are third because if I don't have my first two in place, it doesn't matter if I have the best customers in the world or the most customers in the world. If my employees are not happy, if my vendors are not good to work with, I can't take care of my customers. So I have to prioritize and make my crew number one. That's what everything revolves on. Your experience when somebody comes in may just be with one of our crew members and maybe with five of our crew members. I need to make sure that you leave with a smile on your face and they will make sure because that's what they want to do. Hmm. More gratifying for them. Yeah. I mean, I think that that's just a highlight of a testament to who you are. And another point that you brought up was just, you're looking at your employees, not as employees, you're looking at them as family. So the next question I have in regards to that, I mean, how do you juggle your work life with your family life? 
So it's definitely easier with adult children. But when they were little, it was a struggle because we're in retail, we're holidays, we're weekends. So birthday parties, uh, sporting events, all of those things, there was definitely, you know, many Saturday mornings where my kids would look at me with their little faces and be like, you know, why can't you be like the rest of the parents and come to our party? And it is hard. And, you know, is it the right thing? Is it the wrong thing? I can't tell you that. Did it work for us in our lives? Fortunately, it did. We have family in town that we relied heavily on when our kids were small. We were blessed to have both sets of grandparents plus lots of siblings here. And so we had that as a big, big bonus. And, you know, now down the road that my kids got to have so much time with their grandparents when they were young was also a blessing. So at the same time, my son at the time, I went to Alabama, my wife went to Alabama. He grew up as a Florida fan. He certainly uh, happily converted later and ended up at University of Alabama. But when I asked him, why are you a Gator fan? And he said, well, because you're never here to watch football with on the weekends. I have to watch it with my grandfather and my uncle. And they're both Gators, so I'm a Gator. So I came home from work one night, and uh, there was a Gator parking only, Gator parking only right in my place in the garage that my son affectionately put up for me. So we have fun with it, but that is a real juggle. Uh, any entrepreneur can tell you. And it's a hard one to swallow. And I don't think there is a, a right or wrong path on that. You know, you got to communicate with your significant other. You got to communicate with your kids and try to give them 100% when you are with them, which, you know, as an entrepreneur, you're, you know, there are many vacations where I'm on the phone with a customer. I'm on the phone with an alarm company or something else, you know, and they're looking at me and they're in the pool and why are you like this? But fortunately, my kids now are growing up, as I said, and I got to say, I'm so proud of them. They've turned out awesome. I think they have great work ethics. I think they have great people ethics. I think they know how to treat people. They know what's right and wrong. So for us, it worked. God, I wish there was a formula that I could have read on what was the right way to do it because there was, it's an important thing. Obviously, there's nothing more important, but uh, it was fortunate. Uh, Jerry was very strong at the time. She would not work weekends when they were little. Now she does work weekends, but you know, that's stressful on your significant other too, for them to be the one who, there's no doubt going to work is easier than being a stay at home parent, hands down. There is absolutely no doubt about it. So but again, feel blessed that they turned out the way they did. That's great. That's great. I mean, it's great insight. I mean, it's, it's, I feel like I'm kind of like walking behind you in those footsteps and I'm hoping for the same results. Cause you know, my, my son had grown up in the entrepreneur family since day one. That's the only thing he ever seen and heard. So I, I mean, I'm, Fingers crossed he turns out that way as well. So what is your morning habits, your morning routines? I got to touch on your son. I've oh, yeah. seen him grow up. So, yeah. you know, I know how much he's changed and I can see, you know, what he's into and the questions that he asks you when y'all are in the store and everything. So I think it's a pretty sure thing. He's got your genes for entrepreneurship. Uh, morning routine, very, very important to me. My kids sort of kid me about it. I got to have my morning time. So when they were in school and high school still, I would wake up an hour before anybody else in the house woke up to have my routine. My routine currently and for years has consisted of my coffee being made when I walk downstairs because I said it the night before, I have to smell that right when I'm walking down. My chair that I sit in, the blanket that I put over me, where I keep my reader to pick up and read. So I get some morning reading time every morning, depending if I'm working out or not that day. It could be from 30 minutes up to an hour, usually closer to 30 or 45 minutes drink my first cup of coffee, hopefully 
go work out. Uh, COVID has definitely affected that because we're not going to the gym right now. So we are doing it at home. But overall, I've been pretty good about it. Not fantastic. But I do notice when I don't do it, uh, I'm a little more wound up and I can't necessarily put out as many fires as I can put out when I've worked out in the morning. You know, it helps me with my time. But now that my son is at home, graduated from college and working from home right now, because his office isn't open, my morning has been disrupted. So they sort of laugh at me because it really does get to me. He's a very morning person and likes to talk and interact. And so my chair where I used to sit and read, now I have moved and gone to another room. So when he comes down, I'm already reading, which I sort of feel bad about because it is still time I could get to spend with him. But I know my day, Mm -hmm. having that routine, I think your key word was routine having a routine, no matter what it is, sets you for the day, man. It sets the tone. It sets the mood. I know what works for me. And there's a few other things that I do as far as stretching and some other things. Mm -hmm. But what I have to do, if I don't do it, which I don't even remember the last time I didn't, I just know it's going to mess with my funk sort of the whole day. I'm just going to be out of whack. So, but my morning definitely consists of a lot of coffee too. (laughs) Yeah. What time do you usually wake up in general? Actually, when the kids were in school, I would be at six o'clock. Uh, right now, I'm at seven o'clock. Yep. That's uh, even if I wanted to sleep later. Unfortunately, I just can't. Mm. But it is nice. Although this morning I was woken up at six o five because <laughs> our jeweler, jeweler was getting to the store early to get a head start on the week and set off one of the multiple alarms in the store. So again, joys of entrepreneurship. You never know when that phone's going to ring. And uh, after something like that, you don't go back to sleep. But I'm pretty much at this point. I feel lucky to be a seven o'clock guy instead of a six o'clock guy. Got it. Got it. And one of the things you alluded to was, um, it sounds like you're a big reader in the morning. What book are you reading right now? I have to go get my reader, but what I, to, to see the name of it. So I usually can't even tell you authors are the names of the books, mm-hmm. but I'm a sort of thriller reader, not okay. sci-fi. I don't like sci-fi at all, sort of espionage type books. And I have to go look at the name of this one. I can't even tell you. And sometimes I feel bad that I just keep on clicking on like the next suggested one. Mm-hmm. But after I read the sample, it hooks my interest. So a lot of spy type stuff. Gotcha. So you're, uh, you're more of a, a fiction reader than a nonfiction reader. I am a fiction reader for years. I was purely nonfiction business mm-hmm. self-help reader. Uh, could not read fiction for my wife. Mm-hmm. Uh, my wife got me into it with some good people. And that sort of got me hooked. When I'm reading fiction, I read on a reader. When I'm reading nonfiction, I got to hold a book in my hands mm-hmm. that I can highlight that I can underline. So your book is very marked up because I had a uh, hard copy in my hands, Mm. but if it's a fiction book, you know, it's something where I'm not necessarily referring, ever going to refer back to it. That's probably why I don't know the names of it. All my business books are, you know, up on my shelves or in boxes at this point because there's too many of them, but there is balance in there. But I typically like my morning read to be fiction I'm reading later in the day, self-help. I just find that if I start a business book or self-help in the morning, my mind is immediately into business rather than relaxation and escape. Gotcha. So do you see like a benefit between splitting that model? Because you're saying on one hand, when you wake up in the morning, you want to read something that kind of gets your juices flowing, but more of a relaxed state. And then when you're reading nonfiction books, you're more of a like a studious focus honed in and you don't want to be that until you pretty much get into the office. So is there a gift and curse between juggling those two? You know, I think it's what works for me and I definitely go through phases, but my phases are more year phases, not weekly or monthly phases where I'll get on a self-help kick and then I might end up starting that in the morning. But I definitely find just my whole tone for the day more relaxed when I'm reading something that just sort of 
takes me away. It, it's not reality. It's it's uh, some of the stuff, this spy stuff today seems more and more relevant. Like it could be real, but um, takes me away from it. But uh, the self help books definitely, you know, as you said, there it's more of a studious mind, and I'm taking notes and I'm trying to think of things for meetings that I'm going to have with my crew and things like that. So right now, that's what's working for me. Uh, next time we talk, maybe different. Cool, cool. So another thing you, you just brought up was like the whole alarm thing. So I always think with a jewelry store, right? I mean, I, I know another jeweler, he walks around with like a Colt 45 on his side. I, honestly, I've never seen you strapped in the store. So I mean, had your store ever been broken into? I mean, like what's the drama behind the scenes with owning a jewelry store? It's stressful. Uh, there's no doubt about it. We keep an armed guard at the door of those stores, uh, which we put in years ago, just really to keep us safe, to keep our customers safe. When we moved into Decatur, actually, we sort of got some flack right away from some of the locals who were like, why do they have an armed guard? Where do they think this is? You know, the police force is great and they are great. And we love the Decatur police. They hang out around our store all the time. There's nothing that makes me happier. Hmm. But I started to second guess it after a few months in Decatur. I was thinking, well, maybe we really don't need them. And it's an expense. Believe me, you know, at the end of the year, you've got extra employee that's not producing anything. It's straight money out. But I started second guessing it in Decatur. And at the time, this is 11 years ago now, there was a lot of jean stores at the time. That was a big, big craze. There was one down the street from us and they had a daytime robbery and actually punched the sales lady in the face Hmm. and leveled her out to rob them. And and I said, you know, what am I doing second guessing this? That's exactly why we have a guard, you know, to keep us safe. So won't go much into weapons beyond that as far as stress of owning a jewelry store very stressful as far as security. We've taken a lot of surveillance and counter surveillance teaching uh, from a local guy who's fantastic. Um, The guard service, you know, different alarm setups, things like that. So there's procedures, lots of safety procedures that we do coming and leaving the business to change things up, but definitely not the fun part of the business, we could say. Gotcha. I mean, to your credit to your guards, I mean, I think your newest guard at the Piedmont store, he's like a salesman without selling. I mean, he always has like a different watch on. So every time I come in there, it's kind of like, well, what watch you got on today? So indirectly, I think, you know, they may not be putting anything on the books, but they're pointing them in the right direction. Absolutely. And that's one thing, you know, we tell them right when they start and every one of our guards is we're not looking for you guys to intimidate people. Mm-hmm. We want you to greet people, you know, be on the lookout, but, but this is a friendly atmosphere. This isn't a confrontational atmosphere. Mm-hmm. So you'll start to, you know, the guards end up, no, I mean, he knows you when you come in and they start knowing each other, just like our salespeople do. So it is something where they are part of what we're trying to express the whole experience. You know, we want the guard to open the door for you to greet you with a smile and to welcome you in, not to sit there and intimidate people and try to scare them away or make them feel uncomfortable, but to be there to protect everybody. So they are very important. You know, we'll go online and read our Google and Yelp reviews, and it's very common for the guards to get a shout out. You know, even the guard was so nice to me, which again, what we're trying to do is what aren't people used to? What's the experience that you get in most stores by guards? They give you dirty looks. You know, if you're carrying a backpack, God forbid, you know, if you're a guy, they're following you around, seeing what's going on. You know, it's not a welcoming there, but in our store, we want everybody, whether you're our crew walking in the store, we want everybody to feel welcome to greet you with a smile on their face. And we know you've got a lot of options. We want to make sure that you chose the right option by giving you the top experience and then starting with the guy who opens the door for you, which right now we are keeping the doors locked in the store so we can control the flow of people, how many people are in the store at any time. So him opening the door truly is the first 
interaction with our store. So we want that to be a pleasant one. Wow. Yeah, definitely effective. What's one tool that you use in your business that you couldn't see running your business without? My crew. It's not a tool. But, um, I'm not a big gadget guy. I definitely am always looking for the perfect planner because for me, it's juggling things and remembering where I was and what I was doing as I'm sort of putting out fires and you know dealing with my own clientele that's coming in, but also helping our crew to find the best vendor or to follow up or something's going wrong to step in and try to help them and to remember. So I think for me, it's finding the perfect planner, which after 27 years, I still haven't found. Maybe you can help me on that. I do know the secret to it though. It is whichever one you end up with, whether it's computerized or old school paper is doing the same thing every time having a system and enforcing that system because whatever the system is, I know it works. I just get lazy and I'm like, oh, I'll go back and do that later. Hmm. And whatever you think that in business, it usually ends up biting you. But I have to say, you know, as we sort of already touched on without our crew, without them having the interaction that they get to have with our customers, the business wouldn't be. Hmm. Wow. I have to say that. So with that being said, right, 20 years from now, do you see your business essentially still being a storefront? Are you thinking about maybe possibly going into the online where you kind of selling jewelry through, let's say, holograms? I mean, where do you see yourself 20 years from now? Yeah, there actually are holograms out now, you know, that, that we're seeing at shows and they are very cool. Uh, where do we see ourselves 20 years from now? I hope and pray that brick and mortar stores are still going to always be around. There's just, whether it's my business or another one, there's just nothing like it. Having that experience getting interaction, getting to touch it, feel it, see it in person. I think nothing replaces it. Mm. Obviously, I'm biased. So what has COVID done for us? What it's done for me is I got time with my two adult children that I would not have gotten because my daughter was in New York working already. My son would have graduated. So, you know, he had finished his last couple of months at home. So we got some quality family time. But on top of that, after 27 years and probably four different websites. You know, our first website, we were probably 19 years ago. It was more just, this is a flavor of what we are. Mm -hmm. But because so much of our merchandise, as you know, is one of a kind. uh, So we don't always get in the same thing over and over and over again. It's a one-time thing. It's been hard for us to have items online because by the time we got them up, they could be sold and we might not get it again, or it might be eight months before we get it again. So with this close down and getting my daughter out of New York and her experience with the designer she was working for was doing their website and social media, we actually finally got our website selling. So we got a little bit of merchandise on there. It's nothing that overall gives you a, a total immersive feel of what we do in the store. But in the short time that we've had it up, which has really been April, Hmm. the amount of sales that we're already getting from it are fantastic. So we've always known it's important. We didn't have our head in the sand. We knew that we had to have it. We just didn't have the time to do it because being in the store, you're all in. When you're in the groove, you don't have time to stop and do these other things that are, they could be beneficial. But with the close down, we had the time to get the merchandise up there, to take pictures, to get descriptions on and to get them loaded up. So we've sort of chose items. Some of them are the one of a kinds just because that's really what we built our business on. And we want people to see that range. But then we put some of the other more stock items up there that we can reorder. And again, the monthly sales, the weekly sales are just increasing and increasing. And I think, you know, back with social media to push people there, it's been fantastic. So at 20 years, I think we'll probably have 
more than the two locations, as long as the right people are around. Because I think that, you know, if you listen to people now, even the big online people, they're realizing we need a brick and store mortar. We need something that people can go into a store and touch, even if we have to lease a little counter there. So I hope that stays relevant because I love the interaction of people. It's also, you know, sitting behind a computer all day for me doesn't do it. For many people, it does. For me, it doesn't. Uh, We need that human interaction. But I think that the online presence will continue to grow because now we've got the taste for it, number one, and we've realized, okay, here are some steps. These are some ways that we can do it effectively. Obviously, now from when we did our first website all those years ago to what it costs to do a website now and how you can upkeep it yourself and change it immediately, everything's evolving and changing. So, you know, I guess, you know, getting back to your what's the one thing you couldn't live without, I guess it will become that for me. Being able to have that online presence is going to be more and more important. And it's certainly a good complement to what we do. But ultimately, we want that human interaction because people can order anything online you really don't get the same experience. It doesn't mean as much to you when I can get you in the store and explain to you about the designer, the piece that you picked and how special that person is. It takes it to another level. And and I think it makes that piece more special to the end user too, because they remember that experience. And again, for us, jewelry is, it's an experience, but it's something special in your life that it's going to remind you of when you got it, why you got it and what it was for. So We want to tie as much great memory into that piece and make it as special as possible with you. And, you know, eventually you probably will be able to get that little pop-up if you click on the bracelet that I'm wearing by Jill Maher. It's a handmade piece that, you know, a little video of Jill might pop up. Who knows? But right now that face-to-face look, feel, touch is what we're all about. Yeah, I mean, it's funny that you brought that up because, I mean, I would think in a great environment for you guys right now in the space from a marketing standpoint would probably be Instagram because Instagram has that feature that you're talking about that I can see a product, I can see a visual, and I just hover over it and I'm clicking buy now. I think you got enough product that you can kind of just have somebody circle that product through there and reaching out to influencers in that space. You could become the influencer in that space pretty quickly overnight just because of your passion behind what you're doing on a day-to-day basis. I don't think there's really anybody else in the market that's doing what you're doing, so... Thank you. And then, no doubt, I just had somebody in, in a whole different field and guy I grew up with. And uh, he was asking, you know, who should I hire to help me with this? And I'm like, man, don't hire anybody. Uh, go, go start with a little budget. Do it yourself on Instagram. Do it on Facebook. You know, that what you can target and how you can get, get your, what you're trying to express out there now today, it, it is fascinating. You know, this is starting from, you know, when we started 27 years ago. We were doing newsprint articles every week. We were in, you know, creative loafing, Southern Voice, all these different publications. We constantly had rotating ads. They were somewhat segmented, but nothing like we can segment today with social media. It blows my mind and it's fun and you can test things out. We'll be at a trade show and put up two items and be like, hey, we can't decide between these two. Which way do you like it? Do you like it with this finish or do you like it with this finish? And immediately we're getting customer feedback on what's the right item to buy. So, also helps in the buying. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I call it organic A-B testing. I mean, there's nothing else better than that because you're getting direct results instantly and then you can kind of modify and change it based upon what the users want. So I guess the final words of wisdom, I mean, what is something that you can give to an entrepreneur that potentially sees this podcast, hears your vision, hears your dream, see that you're living it? What would you give to them? I think a couple of things. Some of the advice that I got was, you know, if any way you can figure it out, don't take a bank loan to do what you want to do. Hmm. 
because then you're working for the bank and that's very stressful, especially if you're living through a time like this, you know, where all your best plans in the world might've changed. There's individuals out there who, if your idea is good enough, they're going to believe in you and they will want to invest in your idea. It might take a lot of doors to knock on to find those right people. That's the right deal. We were fortunate and, you know, we, we had, put everything we had into it, certainly, but we had some great investors who believed in what we were doing that we were able to buy out with time because that's the way we set it up. Uh, and they helped us get started. But we also knew that God forbid, if something went wrong or our projections were off, nobody's going to take anything from us and no credit's going to be ruined. So I think that was important. I think also just because your current job situation might, may not be ideal, that doesn't mean working for yourself is going to be any better. If you can't make it through the day to see the good things that you have in the job or in your current situation, it's probably not going to be a lot different working for yourself, but you're not going to have anybody else to blame at that point where right now you can point some other fingers. You need to figure that out first. But I think so many people go into business for themselves. They think it's easier, which it's not. You can testify to that. Yeah. It's not less work hours. You know, all those things as far as gratifying, nothing more gratifying because you did it. As far as stress, I mean, when I managed to store for other people, to me, that was more stressful, even though this is eat or not eat, because I'm not getting paid unless my business is successful. It's not as stressful because I only have to prove myself to me. I'd certainly have to, to my crew and to our customers. But if I mess up, I mess myself up hmm. and hopefully I'm going to learn and not do it again, where when you're working for somebody else, you're trying to please them. And if you mess up, you know, hopefully you're going to feel bad that you messed up and that cost them something. And I think that's a big difference too, just knowing that ultimately it's all going to fall on you at this point. Even if in your current job, you felt like it did, there's nothing like it. And nobody's ever going to understand all that you do. Mondays today, you were nice enough to do this with me on a Monday. It's a day I don't go into the store. I work at home because all I do is book work all day. But I have the flexibility to do that. That's great. I could take a break and get to talk to you. And we got to talk about the scenery behind you before we jump off of this. But see some great scenery behind you because I have that flexibility. Where working for somebody else, I might not have that. So lots of great things. But don't do it because you think it's going to be easier. Don't do it because you think you're going to get rich doing it. Do it because you believe in it, because you love it, because you have something to bring to people to do differently. And we sort of had all of those things together. And to me, that was just very gratifying. You know, it's, we could give back to the community. We could change the way my industry, the jewelry industry saw people, mm -hmm. uh, whether same sex couples or whatever it is. It was a battle for us when we started because we're going to our company saying, we need this type of merchandise. You know, this is what we need now. And so that we feel like we pushed through and we made a difference in that. And, and that's been very gratifying to us. So I think it is just be willing to do it all. Years ago, I had a customer come to a store when we were closed and I was mopping the floor and of the store on a day we were closed. And they said, you mop the floor? I said, do you want to pay more for my jewelry and I'll hire a maid? But yeah, I mop the floor. Take out the trash. There's nothing below you as the business owner. And I think that's key also, especially when you do have people that are working with you to let them see, you know what? I'm not going to ask you to do anything that I'm not going to do. I'm going to go out to the dumpster. I'm going to mop the floor. I'm going to do all of these things also, but I expect you to do them. So do it because you love it. Do it because you believe in it. Don't work for the bank and just be willing to work your ass off because there's tons of other people out there willing to work their asses off.
Yeah, there's people out there that are willing to die to be in your spot. Even though you may think things are hard and difficult, there's somebody out there in a worse situation. So definitely don't take what you have for granted. I totally, totally commend you for that, that statement. What's your Facebook handle, Instagram, your website? How do people get in contact with you? Cool. Uh, worthmorejewelers.com is our website. As I said, it's got a good taste of what we do up there. But the store, our Midtown store is 2,500 square feet. Got our two custom jewelers in there. So a lot more than what's on there, but it will give you a good flavor. Instagram, worth more jewelers. Facebook, worth more jewelers. We keep it pretty simple. My email, I'm Harris, Harris at worth more jewelers. So uh, it's all in the name. As I said, it was the hardest thing really at that point. The name, we were just like, God, what are we going to call this thing? And I still love it all these years later. Yeah, definitely a great, great title. So I got a couple of bonus questions for you, right? If money wasn't a factor, would you still be doing exactly what you're doing right now? I got to say, I truly think I would be. And believe me, when we started, money was certainly a factor, but it was, are we going to have enough money to eat? Literally. I mean, we hand built our displays. We did things in business that we laugh about it now, but we said we were too dumb to know you didn't do things this way. Uh, That worked for us. We didn't realize you couldn't make your own jewelry displays. You couldn't make your own cases. It's just what we did. So. I can't think of doing anything differently. I love going to the trade shows to buy the merchandise. I love interacting with the customers, seeing them get excited about what excited us. Uh, I love the crew that we work with, getting to go to work with my family members, getting to work so closely hand in hand with my wife and now my daughter. I I can't see myself doing anything else. And believe me, I've I've thought of it. Uh, You know, hey, if we sold this now, what would we do? nothing I would want to do more. And I certainly, you know, any entrepreneur will tell you it's in our blood. We're going to work till the end. Uh, my dad, as I said, entrepreneur well into his eighties was still going to the office every day. As he said, I'm getting slower at what I'm doing, but I'm still going to the office every day. And he would not have had it any different until the very end. Wow. Wow. You're a big analytical guy. And so this is like one of these questions about jewelry in general. And do you think jewelry is more so an asset or a liability when it comes to like investing in something? So we get asked a lot, you know, especially when people are buying diamonds, what's the right diamond to buy as an investment? And I quickly say, yes, you know, if you look at the charts, if you look at metal charts, if you look at diamond prices over the years, it hasn't gone down. I mean, there's dips in everything, just like the stock market. But I always quickly come back to buy this piece because you love it. Buy this piece because it makes you smile, because it's going to be a great memory, because it's going to make you feel good when you're wearing it. If it's a watch that you've had your eye on that one of your mentors wore that you always respect it, if it's a piece of jewelry that you've always longed to have, it's an accomplishment. So it means something. But I don't think that there's a lot out there to buy that's material that we hold that I would say go buy as an investment. I I was at a birthday party recently and one of my high school buddies said, hey, I've got some extra cash should I buy silver right now? And I was like, you know, honestly, right now, I'd hold on to your cash. You know, so I think you're not going to lose on it because it it does have intrinsic value. Mm -hmm. But I think more than anything, I want people buying jewelry because of the feeling. Gotcha. Uh, What you feel, the experience of that when they put it on, when they feel it on, what memories it has. The watch I'm wearing right now is a one-of-a-kind watch. It's from the early 1900s. It was a converted pocket watch into a wristwatch. It's the only one like it. And I love the thing. And I have a lot of watches, but I love picking this watch up, 
and hand winding it and feeling the gears move in it and seeing it and knowing there's not another one of these out there. To me, that's very special. If I had to sell it today, would I be fine? Yeah, I would be. And would I, you know, would it have been a good investment? Yes, it would have been. But again, that's not why I want people buying jewelry. I want them buying it for the emotional attachment to it. Well, I mean, that's definitely insightful and not exactly what I thought you was going to say, but I mean, it definitely plays into to who you are and your character. So I definitely appreciate that. The last bonus question, this is one question I always ask because I'm always interested to see what is someone going to say. So if you could spend 24 hours a day with anybody dead or alive, uninterrupted, who would it be and why? I'm going to say it's going to be a musician and without a lot of thought, I'm going to go with, can I choose a whole band? Sure. Why not? If it has to be one person, I would have to get more specific. I'm going to say I get to spend 24 hours with Led Zeppelin. Nice. All right. <laughs> Rock on. <laughs> and it's been part of my life for a long time. I'm not into poetry. I am very much into music. It does a lot for me. It's rare that I don't have music playing, especially on Mondays when I'm just doing book work. Music is in the background. Uh, Led Zeppelin's a band that I grew up with that I love that has so many great memories for me that the music itself just gets me words, the music, everything about it. So, boy, I never got to see him in concert. Uh, wow. I was in eighth when they broke up. So uh, there was a very small chance, but I didn't have that chance. So to be able to do that would be great. Uh, I'm sure there's hundreds of other people that I can learn things from. I just think that would be a great hangout. Nice, nice, nice. Well, I definitely appreciate you coming on the show. This is the time where I usually, at the end of the podcast, I usually give whoever I'm interviewing the opportunity to ask me any questions. All right. My question is, what do I see there in the background? Tell me a little bit. I was going to sit outside. And I was like, oh, it might be too noisy. And then I see you have something beautiful going on back there. It's a fishing boat that's behind us right now. We decided to one of those things, like once in a lifetime things, COVID, how did we make the best of it? The kids are all remote schooled. Why the hell would we stay at home? So we decided to move to Florida for three days. Awesome. So we're right here uh, of um, Pine Island and that's our backyard for a couple more weeks. Awesome. Awesome. And I, you know, I think those are, again, why you are successful. You look for stuff like that. There's no doubt, man, the water, the beach, that just is a natural relaxation. Uh, and there's a lot that we can all get get upset about in today's world. So to be able to to go with your family, number one, and to be able to know, hey, we got to do something. We can do our work from anywhere, but to be able to have that in your life is super special. And, and I commend you for doing that. It again, you know, we have to take care of ourselves as much as everybody else around us. But if we're not in good shape, you and I, we can't take care of our family. We can't take care of our customers. We can't continue to be growing ourselves. So having that time and you've got a great family. I've met them all. And when y'all come in, y'all all come in together. You're sort of like us. You hang tough together. Uh, you go through things together, but you interact with them as people. Yeah. 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 I just wanted to kind of have the opportunity to say, okay, like this may not happen again, right? You may have to go back to school after January and then we're going to have to wait till the summer and summer schedules are all crazy. Everybody's everywhere. So I'm trying to take advantage of every single minute that they're remote. For me personally, I like the remote, man. I mean, Koi loves the remote. Kay, on the other hand, she doesn't really like the remote. She's a poor people person. But if it's up to Koi, Koi would never have to go back to school in his mind. We got to make the most of this, what's going on yep. right now. Yep. We can make a difference. We got to pull in there together. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm a little jealous with that. I might jump online when we're off and, and look at some time. We, we've talked about it often and, you know, saying how things get in the way, you know, 
boy, what would it be like to take a month off and go in a place and just have the kids come for a while, family, brothers, sisters come for a while. Uh, that was before the shutdown. So I commend you for getting into something that we've talked about many times in the past. So that's some daily motivation for me to try to hit that goal now. Definitely, definitely, definitely. Well, again, man, I definitely appreciate you taking time out your schedule. And I know you took a time off your day off to kind of get on this podcast. So I definitely appreciate it. I think you've given a hell of a lot of value. I mean, you've given a lot more than anybody would ever expect a jeweler to deliver on a business podcast. And I definitely appreciate that. I appreciate it. I got to hit you up for a hat next time you're in. For sure. Definitely. I need it for my head. <laughs> we both share the same palette. So. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thanks. Yeah, appreciate it, Harris. Have a good one. Thank you. Bye. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Boss Uncaged. I hope you got some helpful insight and clarity to the diverse approach on your journey to become an uncaged trailblazer. If this podcast helped you, please email me about it. Submit additional questions you would love to hear me ask our guests and or drop me your thoughts at asksagrant.com. Post comments, share, hit subscribe, and remember, to become a boss in cage, you have to release your inner beast. S.A. Grant, signing off. Listeners of Boss Uncaged are invited to download a free copy of our host, S.A. Grant's insightful book, Become an Uncaged Trailblazer. Learn how to release your primal success in 15 minutes a day. Download now at www.sagrant.com slash boss uncaged.